Hi everyone, I'm Maria Theoharis or Velosos. You're listening to today's Sew so 50 Thursday podcast on Sew so Organised Style. Sew so Organised Style podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. A big sponsor shout out goes to our two podcast friends and sponsors, the Australian Sewing Guild who has been our Monday Daily Series regular is now a sponsor of Sew Organised Style Podcast. Go to ozsew.org to check out the online workshops, sew-alongs, skills library and more. Our second sponsor is Tatiana's School of Couture as she launches it online. Go to her website to see her new online sewing classes and patterns. Welcome back to Sew Over 50 Thursday. Today our special guest is Mariana and you will know her as Fox Gloves and Thimbles on Instagram. Now I've followed her for a very long time and she's here on Cyber 50 Thursday. So let's welcome Mariana. Hi Mariana, how are you? Oh fine, thank you. How are you? It's so nice to, to speak to you. I've been following you all for so long. It's very nice to meet. I feel the same way. I've followed you for so long as well with your cycling and your clothes making, especially coats. I love them. Yes, they're my favourite as well. For our listeners, what is your Instagram handle? Because I may have said it wrong. Oh, no, you did it correctly. It's foxgloves and thimbles. And perhaps I should explain. Foxgloves, if you translate the Dutch word for the plant, it would be thimbleweed. And those flowers are tiny thimbles. And when I'm not sowing, you can find me in the garden. So I have thimbles inside and outside, and during summer especially, it's a tough competition for my spare time. But during winter, sewing always wins. It does, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Can you tell our listeners where you live? I live in the Netherlands, in, in a village in the central part, with my husband, also known as Mr. Foxgloves. He's very supportive, and he's always in uh, to help me out if I come up with a plan for sewing room improvements and we have a, a little border terrier also known as the furry assistant because he's always <laughs> in my blog pictures <laughs> stealing my thunder he's very cute yes the reason i've asked you onto the podcast is because you're a very good supporter within the sew over 50 community so can you tell us how you began your sewing journey? What started you sewing? Oh, that's interesting. I have very early childhood memories of my mother and my grandmother sewing together. But somehow they never taught me how to sew. I learned the old jobs. I did handover casting, seam allowances, thread tracing. But I never used a sewing machine or learned everything to make a garment. And looking back, I think they just saw sewing as a part of a, a 50s housewife job description. It's like cooking and sewing and cleaning, but it wasn't their passion. And it wasn't 
as glamorous as 50s housewives might sound. Uh, most of the things they were doing was quite boring stuff. Mending boiler suits, extending the lifetime of shirts by turning the collars. Well, it was very make-do and meant, and that sounds trendy, mm. but I think it's different when it's not of your free choice. So I think the real passion of my mother was knitting and embroidery, and she's now 88, and until a few years ago, she still embroidered Christmas cards for all her family and friends. But her passion wasn't into sewing. And that changed. My, my view on sewing changed when I first met my future mother-in-law. Well, I married my high school sweetheart, so I was lucky to meet her very early in my life. I was just 18, and then I got introduced. And she was passionate about sewing. She would set her alarm early and rush through the day, do everything she needed to do in the morning so she could squeeze in some sewing time in the afternoon. And... She got excited when a new sewing magazine would arrive. Then she would take out all her fabrics and she asked me, should I make this in red or in blue? And then something clicked for me, like, oh, it's possible to dream up a garment from scratch. You can be the design, think about the buttons, about embellishments and everything. Well, the seed was planted. Then a few months later, she said, well, I have a surprise for you. She had rescued a sewing machine from the bin. Her neighbor threw it out and she couldn't get it to work. And my, my mother-in-law offered to help her, but she said, oh, I, I can't bear the sight of that machine. Uh, please take it. So she gave it to me and I got some sewing lessons. And I remember the first thing we made was a rag doll with long arms and a floral kind of Laura Ashley dress. Oh. It was the 70s after all. And we were running out of fabric and we were cutting single layers. And I remember she told me, well, be careful, left and right sleeve. Well, even though she supervised everything, we ended up with two left sleeves. And then she spoke the wise words, well, you learn the most from your mistakes. And that's still my sewing mantra. Well, take out that seam ripper and there's always more fabric and take it easy and start anew. So every time I'm cutting single layers, I'm thinking of that Saturday afternoon that's now 45 years ago. Wow. And, well, that sewing machine, it was built in East Germany. It was incredibly heavy and it was noisy. It was like a tank. Nothing subtle about it. But I took it with me when I left for university and I had a few books and I made it up as I went. I made a dress and then when it came to put in a zipper, I would go to the chapter zippers and find out how, how to do that. Yeah. And it went well and six years later I decided I could make my own wedding dress. Well, on the tank with satin and lace. Can you imagine? On the tank. On the tank. But it worked. At least I was happy with it and it wasn't flawless, but I loved it. And then, well, it stayed with me for 10 years, that machine. And I had my first daughter. I made everything for the nursery and her first wardrobe and everything. And then I got another daughter and I had my first Benina. And that's still going strong. 
it's 30 years, 33 years ago. And I thought, well, I'm going to teach my daughters to sew if they're interested. And without pressure, without expectation, they could see what they wanted to do with it. Just, I'll show them. And they loved it. And they made clothes during summer holidays. And they made, when they were little, they brought out the Sharpies. And they made very detailed images of pink tartan trousers and purple tops with a rabbit on it. (laughs) Which which we then created. And then, well, it was fun. And then history repeated itself. And one of our neighbors threw out her sewing machine. And she asked, do you think the girls would like? And the girls liked it. And my youngest daughter took it with her when she left for university. And one day she called me and she said, Mom, I'm drowning in fabric. I thought, oh, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) And she said, yes, I volunteered to make 25 dresses, infinity dresses, for a party of my sorority. And she did. And that same daughter is now the owner of a sustainable industrial weaving mill. And she's surrounded by fabrics every day. So, well, that's... That's a success. That's such a good success. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, that was the story till 2010. And then something happened that gave a completely new impulse to my sewing. I bought a second-hand overlocker and I went to pick it up near Amsterdam. And the lady who sold it to me, she showed me a sewing room. And I had never seen a sewing room. I couldn't wrap my head around the concept even, but I'd been to paradise. I have a few friends that sew, and but we were all working on the kitchen table and our fabrics were stacked around all around the house. It was okay, but when I drove home with uh, the overlocker in my trunk, I thought, oh, that's heaven. I want a sewing room. And then I came home and I looked up Nijkamer, which is the Dutch word for a sewing room, mm-hmm. and nothing came up. Nothing. And then I thought, well, I'll Google sewing room. Oh, wow. <laughs> was a plethora of the most beautiful rooms and what was even better I discovered the persons behind those rooms and some of them had sewing blocks and well I think I spent most of the next year online every spare minute uh, I was looking uh, I was reading blogs and well and by discovering sewing blocks I also discovered fitting books and I think for someone who had been sewing for 35 years, I think you can't imagine that I didn't know fitting books existed. But Dutch is a very small language. It's the linguistic region. It doesn't make it uh, very nice for publishers to translate very specific uh, specialized books into Dutch. So you won't find a fitting book in a Dutch bookshop. But when I knew... (laughs) I now have a complete library of every fitting book I could find. And I remember one day uh, there was a giveaway on someone's blog and I got a Fit for Real People book. Oh, yeah. It arrived and it looked very old-fashioned. 
from the outside, but the content was all very new to me. And I thought, why didn't anybody tell me about <laughs> fitting books? <laughs> it was such a game changer. So, well, and then a few years later, I decided, well, I just don't just want to be a reader, passive. I'm going to start my own blog and I started Instagram. And within a few months, I found a group that made French jackets. And I do remember that one day I was saying uh, in the group that I was looking for a special kind of fabric. And then I got a reaction from Singapore. And someone said, oh, I've just found what you're looking for. Do you want me to send some swatches? And, well, it wasn't necessary at the end, but it was the gesture that made such a difference. Yeah. Thank you, Belinda. <laughs> and I told my husband, well, I definitely found my tribe and the world is our playing field. We can do whatever we want and we can connect and... There's people out there that love to do the same things that I do. And I'm not alone anymore. But because until then, well, I had some friends who liked to sew, but they weren't interested in couture sewing or learning new techniques. Or so, well, well, I guess that's so far my uh, sewing story. You've had some very pivotal times in your sewing story. And yes. So the fact that your daughter has an industrial weaving or which is around being sustainable is, oh, I would just be so proud as a mother. Yes, of course. <laughs> it's really good that the learning that you got from your mother-in-law and that you encourage your daughters. And they both sew. What more can you want? Exactly. What does your other daughter do in her sewing capacity? She likes to sew for herself. Uh, she's six foot tall, so fitting is always an issue, of course. Ready to wear, always too short. And so that's a nice incentive to do some sewing. We like to sew in my sewing together when we can. But they both live an hour away, but in different directions from me. And yeah. do you help them with fitting their projects? Because you've got this amazing library of fitting books now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. But I, I only have uh, 10 years of experience in using them. <laughs> <laughs> and before I had those fitting books, I pretty much knew how to fit myself. Well, they came just in time as well, your waist disappears <laughs> when you're starting to get close to 50 and things like that. So it was an, an interesting journey. And the reason I contacted you about being on this podcast was because you're one of the Sober 50 stalwarts. How have you found being part of the Sober 50 community as a sewer and as someone who has found her tribe? Well, that's interesting if you put it that way. Well, I found Sober 50 right when it started. And the first two days I was on the fence about it. Because I was thinking, well, I sew for my shape, I sew for my style, for my lifestyle, my personality, but for my age, I don't think so. And I follow people because I admire their skills, their creative use of color or whatever, but I've never thought, oh, she has the same age as I have, uh, let's follow her. It didn't play a role. And I think a large cup size or being tall it's not age specific. 
and I'd learned a few very useful tricks from people that were half my age. Yes. So I thought, well, is it a good thing to start a niche community? Mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't want to miss out on all the gorgeous things that younger sewists make. And, well, I wrote an Instagram post about that. I thought, well, what are others thinking about that? And then Judith commented on my post and she said, well, I had my doubts beginning, but I've had so many messages from people who didn't feel included in the larger sewing community and they were already gaining confidence in two days. And then, well, it was that facepalm moment and I thought, well, stop it. This isn't about me. This is about all those people out there who perhaps don't know about sewing rooms or about fitting books and who haven't found their tribes. So let's spread the word. And so from the third day or so, I was very happily spreading the word about So Over 50. And I even was a guest editor at one point when I was overwhelmed by, well, it was so much work to monitor the comments. Because when one part of the community goes to sleep, the other other parts wakes up. That's right. I thought, well, Judith and Sandy are doing such a great job. And how can they even find the time to sew? (laughs) Because this is more than a full-time job to keep everyone happy. I agree. And they're so welcoming and supportive and encouraging. And I like the educational posts because I think, well, if we can do anything to get more people active and feel welcomed in the community, well, the better. And I love the challenges. I specifically love the mini challenge this summer because well we were all in the same boat and we couldn't travel and all the restrictions and then they come up with the plan of holiday weekend and there were all those happy pictures of people in handmade holiday wardrobes in all the places we long to be and it was i thought it was very uplifting and yeah, and that's what I like uh, about and then people are having trouble to get dressed in the morning because of everything that's going on. It's so nice to have this community and see some familiar faces and beautiful projects. It's lovely. With Sober 50, because we've all been in some sort of restrictions at some point this year, they've been so uplifting, as you say, in coming up with challenges to keep us connected and to keep everyone talking to each other. Yes. It's been really important for people's mental health and it would be lovely to see more mature people featured in the sewing patterns that we see. Yes, it is, but I don't really notice the models that are used by the pattern companies. I've learned from a very early age to look at the line drawings and I keep doing that because, well, when I was 20, I wasn't six foot tall and uh, size zero uh, either. So I've never felt purely represented by the models. So I, I kind of ignore them, I guess. So for me, it's not important and I've never felt like I'm in a kind of ignored demographic. I think, well, if you want to be seen, you have to put yourself out there. And 
show what you do and what you make. And we can help each other tremendously by, by showing our mix. And because, well, if I've learned anything over the last two years about the so over 50-year community, is that that group is as diverse as any other group. Because, well, we have people of different skills, of different backgrounds, of we have different styles, lifestyles. So, well, if I see a mature model, a silver-haired model that is six feet tall and size zero, <laughs> I'm still not <laughs> represented. That's right. So, for me, that's a non-issue. But I know it's, again, it's different for a lot of people. So, I understand uh, where it's coming from. I want to be visible, but I show myself. And, well, you've seen my feet. I'm not wearing greys or... <laughs> Uh, dull colors i'm uh, all about color and loud florals and whatever so i don't think i get around unnoticed <laughs> especially not in our village do you have a lot of people in your village who sew well i have two friends that sew and i don't know many others that sew and i've never found a sewing group that, that I could join that I thought well that's interesting but that's really depending on where you live and I found my way and I do an, occasionally I do a workshop there's a lovely master tailor institute in Amsterdam that has a few interesting workshops and there are different places to go but... would it be correct to say that your sewing room now is your happy place or one of your happy places yes one of them <laughs> Always competing with the garden. <laughs> I have a nice cutting garden and a kitchen garden and we have a few fruit trees. So I'm all often outside. But sewing in the garden is the best of both worlds. If I can take my hand sewing outside and sit in the sunshine and doggy running around me, that's that's perfection. It sounds like perfection. Yes. Yeah. So are there any final words you'd like to tell our listeners about sewing or being part of the Sew Over 50 community? Well, if there's anything that I could dream for Sew Over 50, it's if we could work towards more body positivity. I still see many people uh, showing what they made on a coat hanger or on a dress form. And I think, well, there's nothing that makes a garment come alive better than when it's worn by the person that it's made for. But I think for some people, the internet is not a safe enough place, perhaps. Or, But I often feel it's also embracing who you are now and that you don't look like the way you looked when you were 30 or 40. Well, in my case, 50, because it's also a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, we can all be ourselves. If I look back and see what my grandmother was wearing when she was my age, I'm 62 for two weeks more. <laughs> and she was wearing uh, all those dull clothes and blending in the background. And if you prefer that, you can still do it. But we can also... Well, Madonna is my age as well. So there, there are no rules for what we can do or wear. Or, so be yourself and embrace the body you have now. And I think that sewing for yourself can help accept your curves, your whatever. Hmm. From the time that you were young to now, 
what sort of things have changed when it comes to the motivation to sew? I grew up in Rotterdam and that city was heavily bombed during the Second World War. It took 25 years to rebuild the city, so there was a big housing crisis and my parents moved in with my grandparents and we lived there until I was about six. And... Well, their way of sewing was very thrifty, and I think it was partly because there weren't many resources, and partly because it was a lifestyle that was started during the war, and, well, it's hard to let that go later on. Well, for me, I think the motivation has always been making one-of-a-kind garments. I don't know why that's so important for me, but it is my motivation. And now I see with my daughter, my youngest daughter, I think the eldest daughter is also wanting to make one-of-kind garments. And the youngest is very much into sustainability, but for different reasons, of course, than my mother was, because she's doing it for the environment, for the climate, and she's very... It's another lifestyle question again, I think. And for my mom, it was, yes, absolutely. Well, I think I I said that uh, the first time around when I said that uh, what they were doing was uh, make, do and mend, but not in the way that we look at it now, because now it's, well, for environmental purposes, uh, we want to, to keep the waste down and Well, my way is to not sew tremendous amounts of garments. I'm a slow sewer, so (laughs) that comes in naturally. Uh, I make about 12, 13 garments a year, and I hardly buy any ready-to-wear, so that's my way to contribute, I think. And I have access to uh, all those beautiful fabrics that my daughter is uh, making. She even made a a fabric. Uh, I sent you the picture of the purple jackets. Yes. The short one. It's made from one of her fabrics, and she created it on the day of my birthday. And she sent me an app, and she said, well, your color is going on in three, two, one. And I (laughs) saw the the weaving loom create my birthday present. Well, isn't that a dream job? (laughs) That's so special. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. Marianne, thank you so much for coming on to Sewer 50's podcast on Sew Organised Style. I really appreciate the fact that you've told us about where you started your sewing journey with your mother-in-law, with her help, and how you've fostered your daughters to sew and how, you know, this is such a special skill that you all have and that you share as a family. Yes, it is. And it was so lovely to talk to you, Maria. Thank you for having me. It was really nice. I'm so pleased that you could come onto the podcast and uh, that I could actually meet you in person, so to speak. Yes. Yes, that's really nice. Have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of So Organised Style Podcast was produced by me, Maria Theoharis, with permission of Marianne Sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to So Organised Style Podcast, but with an S, not a Z, on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Lipson, our podcast distributor. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our podcast Instagram account or on our Facebook page. 
we look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.